nostris liberos teus noster. In amen pace fide petus sancti amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here. That you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We have arrived here to Cedar Crest with a spirit of recognition that uh, we are here to grow in our vocation and to be close to you during this time because the Blessed Sacrament is already here installed and already we can pray with an attitude of thanksgiving in this beautiful house with its technical quirks but uh, nevertheless the most important player is here so that's what's important. Now yesterday we celebrated the Feast of the Archangels and uh, today there's a kind of extension of that feast because today in the Archdiocese of Toronto we also celebrate the dedication of the cathedral which is the Cathedral of St. Michael's. So it's a feast for us as well though we celebrated the three Archangels yesterday Today is supposed to be the Feast of St. Jerome, but given the importance of a cathedral in the community and the dedication of this temple, Temple of God, especially given it was so beautifully restored with this massive tabernacle and beautiful decoration, we will celebrate today the Mass of the dedication of a church or a cathedral but the specific one for those celebrating outside the actual cathedral. And it is specifically the cathedral of St. Michael's. And like the other archangels, St. Michael was created with a mission to send, uh, to send a very important message. Angels were created to send messages, but archangels were created to send very important messages, big messages of universal import. That's why Gabriel, St. Gabriel, the archangel, told Mary a very important message, that she would be the mother of God, that the incarnation would not take place. That means that here is the son, the son of God, but he is also man. He is the son of God, but he is also man, and it, and it took a while for the church to flesh out the truth of Jesus being perfect God and perfect man with the different uh, ecumenical councils fighting against heresies. But bit by bit, this fundamental message came to be more deeply understood. And it all started with this message of an angel, an archangel. And we know St. Michael also was involved in the sense that he defended that truth. 
So we're here too with that angel that is right here in this redable. There's, I, I would have to say that that's an archangel. I don't know. It's not clear who it is. If it's St. Michael, if it's St. Gabriel, is that St. Rachel? I don't know. It doesn't have his name there. Uh, but he's clearly an important angel. I mean, this guy is important. Look, look at him. He's, he's after all watching over our blessed Lord in the blessed sacrament. Some say he's the guardian angel of the work in general. So he protects the work. That's why he's holding the, the seal of the work there in his this delicate seal of the work. You can barely make out there. But uh, he is holding that. So you could say he is the guardian angel of the work. And even though he kind of barely looks like an angel, he, he, you can barely make out his, his, his wings, but he is an angel. And um, he protects the spirit of the work, the spirit of Opus Dei, which we have come here to deepen in or understand more deeply because it involves our vocation, that fundamental, fundamental message that he is there to protect so that we can stay faithful to it, that we deeply embed the spirit of Opus Dei in our lives, in our minds, in our behavior, in our attitude, in our thoughts, especially in this spirit of Opus Dei, the, the, the central tenant or central core, which is the spirit of divine filiation. On October 2nd, 1928, when Saint Rosemary saw Opus Dei on that day, somewhere there too, there were angels involved in passing along that message and explaining it and helping him to live it, because that was on the Feast of the Guardian Angels, of course, October 2nd. And so, as we come here, somehow we have to dig deeper into this most important message that St. Josemaria received from God, and again, which he too had to flesh out, which he too had to meditate on over and over. It was not a new message. It was not original in that sense. It was part of the patrimony of the Church. But he was given this task of transmitting it helping people to live it and incorporating it into their lives. It was really this truth and this reality of, of our divine filiation, that we are sons and daughters of God. It's, it's part of revelation. Since we are united to Christ in baptism, we become, like Christ, sons and daughters of God. And there are people that are unaware of this profound truth. They're just... I don't know if you can say oblivious to it, but they either it hasn't been explained or they haven't heard about it. And therefore they don't, they, 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 are, they live perhaps precarious lives, fragile lives. It could be that we are living a somewhat fragile life, even though we may know it theoretically, but we haven't somehow perfectly well incorporated it into our lives. And that's what we're here to do, to incorporate it more deeply. There's that story that Bishop Robert Barron recounts. He says it's one of his favorite stories of a, of a man 
who was flying a single-engine plane and ended up in a very severe storm. And at one point, as he's going through the storm, his communication system failed, and he found himself without access to any airport or hearing even where he was because the radio was completely completely dead and he couldn't uh, he couldn't connect with the control tower to tell him where he was and how much how, how far away he was he was completely lost and he was about to give up hope when suddenly a strong voice a mystical sounding voice came through that radio and without without him even asking, it, it gave him directions to an airport that he knew nothing about. It wasn't the airport that he had come from. And the voice guided him to the runway of a small airport that he didn't know anything about and that, in fact, had been abandoned. And he landed and realized he looked around and it was an airport, but there was nobody there. And he went to the control tower and it was just like, you know, cobwebs and uh, nobody just just like the rustle of wind no personnel were on the ground at all was this purely an accident well we're not here by accident we're here to reinforce that message of saint Josaria that did not come from him, that, but that came from God, and to help people land, not in some obscure, unknown airport, but to land in a way that makes their life truly meaningful, so they don't crash. Maybe that message of divine filiation lays somewhat dormant it's been slumbering along for many years. Yes, we know about the sanctification of ordinary work. Yes, we know about the value of little things. But how deeply have I embedded the reality of my divine filiation? Like this morning, this morning, when you woke up, did you... Of course, I know immediately you bounced out of bed right away. I mean, I know, I know you, you did that in, I mean, just, you know, without thinking, you got up. And then you got on your knees, you offered your day, but was there an act of thanksgiving in that moment? Was there an act of thanksgiving? Lord, because you have made me a son or a daughter of God. This is the reality of our divine filiation that should, that we're thinking about it now, but that should, you could say, embed us every day. Often, numerous times a day, as part of our presence of God. Here's a, an amazing passage from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 541. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. 
and believe in the gospel. To carry out the will of the Father, Christ inaugurated the kingdom of heaven on earth. Now the Father's will is to raise up men to share in his own divine life. The Father's will is to raise up men and women to share in his own divine life. He does this by gathering men around his Son, Jesus Christ. This gathering is the church on earth, the seed, and the beginning of that kingdom. He does this by gathering men around his son, Jesus Christ. And that gathering is the church. And, uh, and so when we awaken, we are, we are enlightened to the immense beauty and discovery of God's love that he wants us truly to gather around his son. And when we do that, as no doubt you did that this morning, our whole perspective changes because we're gathered around his son. We are his disciples. We are his apostles. We develop truly an interior perspective. And with him, the principal points of the faith, the truth of faith become stunning, become moving, become beautiful, and give us authentic drive. And when you, when you drop a, a stone into water, into still water, it creates a ripple, and the waves spread around it and, uh, and spread a, a wider and wider radius around that, that stone. It, it creates one wave, but the wave goes off, 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 further and further out. So what happens is that the experience of love resonates in the remaining contents of the faith. It, it resonates with everything that we believe in. That contents of the faith, of the truth of our divine filiation, can, can resonate, can vibrate all over our life, all over our faith, in everything we do. Because we listen to that voice that came through that radio. Not all at once, one after the other, as the Holy Spirit sees fit, fit to push our soul forward. Well, we can tell our Lord now, who is present here, I want to step forward in the resonance of this truth and understand the ripple effect of divine filiation in my life. The ripple effect, like that stone falls into water. How has divine filiation really affected my life? How is it, uh, how is it what, what kind of effect has it created in me? We can never let it become something stale, tasteless, just a, a truth that we know about. Let my joy, Lord, really be based really only on the fact that others have shared this truth with me you know, it cannot be that I'm happy just because somebody has said that I'm good, I did something good, I look beautiful, I look wonderful, or that I rock. 
that I rock. Oh, you rock. Mom, you rock. And that's good. I mean, that's wonderful. I mean, it's great, you know. I'm sure it makes you happy when you get praise. But somewhere there we understand deeply that there has to be a deeper source of our happiness, of our peace. And that's this fact that that God has that presence of divine fatherhood over us. God is a father, infinitely good father, who accepts each person as his son or daughter. Remember that time when, in the gospel, it tells us that uh, the, the apostles asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. How can we pray? They probably saw him go out at, uh, you know, at all hours of the night and they'd pray and they'd see him teach us how to pray. How he would go off on his own. And that's, that's when he taught them the Our Father. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. He was, he was giving them a sense of how he prayed to God the Father. He was the Son. He was the only, the natural Son of God. And now he's inviting us to share in that filiation. I know you've heard many times the phrase that the gateway to this filiation is our baptism, which makes us children of God. It's not a new phrase to you. Baptism makes us children of God. I know you know this. You've heard it, no doubt, many times. But we really have to um, pray the Our Father truly as children. And... um, You see that in many saints. You see that in people like our Father who said uh, divine filiation is a joyful truth, is a consoling mystery. It fills our spiritual life. It shows us how to speak to God, how to love our Father in heaven, he says. And it makes our interior struggle overflow with hope and gives us the trusting simplicity of little children. Gives us the trusting simplicity of little children. More than that, precisely because we are children of God, he said, we can contemplate in love and wonder everything is coming from the hands of our Father, God the Creator. And so we become contemplatives in the middle of the world Loving the world. When he says contemplatives, in the middle of the world, it's also a phrase, no doubt we've heard a lot, but to be a contemplative really means that we understand that, that, that we can enter into a, an imagination, a, a, a kind of a picture realm, where we picture ourselves not only as disciples of our Lord, as we see our Lord speak to the apostles and we, we go there as another character in the scene, but we can actually picture ourselves as children of God and we can somehow mysteriously see God as our Father. That's in some way what it means to be contemplative. It's not, a, it's not so much filled with ideas. It's, I am here, I am with you, I trust you, I know you love me, I will get up again. Even today, 
Maybe I got stressed as I came here with the traffic, going up the 427 with the accidents and the, the engines. and Or maybe there are issues at home. Maybe it was difficult to leave home, leaving the kids, leaving your husband with the stove. <laughs> or other preoccupations. Maybe you have deadlines coming. I don't think you have taxes right now, but uh, bills piling up, uh, the second wave of COVID and so forth. But let's, let's stop all those thoughts and trust them to God. No matter what they are, no matter what my mistakes are, my, my errors, my suffering, no matter what happens, I'm still yours, Lord. I'm still, I still belong to you. And we come back to that foundation. And uh, have I really dwelled deeply in what it means for me to be a child of God? Have I really dug deeply into that? It might be risky to say that I know all about it. Do you have enough wisdom or experience or spiritual insight, for example, to share the truth of divine filiation with others? Imagine if you're eating a meal and you served yourself and you're waiting for all to be served and you know, you've served your plate and you're waiting for others to fill their plate, but then suddenly there's not enough food to go around for everybody. And your plate is loaded down. <laughs> so you've got, you know, two nice patties and uh, lots of vegetables and lots of potatoes and french fries or something like that. And there's one or two people that they got nothing because everybody is filled up. Are you able to, do you have enough on your plate so you can share what you have? Or is your plate sparse in terms of your experience of divine filiation? Is it sparse in terms of your deep understanding of what it is and how to live it? It's very important that you and I live divine filiation, that we experience it, that we don't have an empty plate or, or a sparse plate with just uh, a few french fries. Maybe you can explain it in theory, but can you share the practical food that has been your plate for a while? What do you do, for example, when you are hit by worry? What you do when you're unfocused in prayer? when you experience the deep shame of your own weakness, your own failing. Has divine filiation been for you like a treasure, like a bank account, like a, a, a rich bank account that you can go to frequently? Not just a plate of food, but a rich bank account, a treasure, that is, uh, that has a lot of money in it, a big, a big bank account. 
When was the last time you actually made a withdrawal from this bank account? Did you make a withdrawal today? Did you make a withdrawal yesterday? Am I even aware that I have a rich bank account? Well, the genius of our plan of life and the beauty of our plan of life and our norms and, and this workshop that we weave into our life, the narrative of the life of Jesus, and we can thereby enrich and become more, more vividly interconnected to this truth. The norms, especially the norm of consideration of our divine filiation, help us to become more aware how God has guided me in the past. How God labors in my life and calls me in the future. So as we start this workshop, we'll ask the Blessed Mary to help us be a little bit freer of all the interior clutter that gets in the way of reaching all the graces that he wants to send us. Let's ask this of our Blessed Mother. She will intercede for us, grant us that strength, and help us to deepen in, in, the, in the beauty of this, this bank account that we have, a rich bank account, which we, which we have to have access to often, because we need the money that's inside, the money that is our divine filiation, so we can use it in our apostolate, we can use it in our daily work, we can use it to face trials, we can use it to experience joys in our family, in our prayer, in so many different aspects of our life. St. Michael, the archangel, will protect us against the devil, who's always trying to make us unaware of this treasure. The devil's always trying to fill up our mind with clutter, with twigs and branches, so that we don't realize this truth. And St. Michael will do as he did in the great battle and throw him down to hell so that uh, he can't get in our way. But he's, he's still trying, but we won't let him. Our Blessed Mother, of course, will intercede for us as well. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.